And the eagle has landed yet again. It's Tuesday night. How are you, everybody? Welcome to Narrative Live. Eric Garland is here. I was promoting you as a Russian-sanctioned futurist today, and people quite like that. So um, it might be a new moniker. I'll take whatever job title. That'll do. It's a pretty good one. We've had a lot of news going on in the last just few hours, and we have such a big show planned. So we're thanking you for joining us tonight, and it's going to be jam-packed with interesting things for you tonight. Uh, Coming up at around 7.30, we'll talk to Brandon Wolf, who's a survivor of the Pulse nightclub. We're going to talk about the delay it took for police to act in that shooting. Uh, That's the Pulse nightclub that took place in Orlando. And, you know, it was three hours, the delay there. It was 90 minutes in Uvalde. But why are there so many delays in responding to in these big active shooting events that take place? But we have big breaking news tonight in that Michael Sussman, the direct Clinton lawyer, was found not guilty by a court Mm -hmm. um, for not lying to the FBI, according to this court. No, just, you know, the jury found uh, that there was a potential, you know, reasonable level of doubt about it was not beyond a reasonable doubt that he made false statements to the FBI. It was a very complicated case, but that's the decision they came to. And uh, given the complications of it, you know, I could see my way to it. Yeah. I mean, look, it doesn't say that all the Durham cases are irrelevant. It says that this particular case went, the system worked the way it should work. You know, someone was accused of something. There was an investigation. They went to trial. They were found not guilty. And that's the way it's meant to work. In fact, it's exactly the way the system should always work when people are corrupt or might be corrupt. And that's what we like to, you know, we aspire to with all the investigation going on around January the 6th. We hope that the same kind of strong investigation happens there as well. Uh, Certainly no one should be allowed off the hook for anything that they've done with regards to January the 6th or if they've done anything to fabricate information regarding an election, which is what this case was really about. Because what Durham is alleging in his broad cases is that there was a series of events that ultimately were fabricated in order to get the FBI weaponized into the 2016 election on behalf of the Clinton campaign against Trump. Now, we all know that it also worked in reverse. Apparently, the Trump campaign right. also weaponized the FBI against the Clinton campaign. That's how we got the Wiener laptops. In both cases, equally wrong, equally shouldn't happen uh, if they indeed happened. And if they did happen, we should find out so the FBI doesn't do it again. And I think that's yeah. probably the biggest point behind all of these Durham investigations is that there is an enormous amount of concern around the FBI's involvement in elections in general. We want them, of course, to investigate any criminal activity, but can they be the arbiter of every election? And can they be guaranteed not to be interfered with by opposition parties, you know, doing opposition research? It's very, very difficult. And it puts them in an impossible situation where they can't be unbiased. And they're just victims of these constant attempts to try and feed them information, which may not be true or accurate. I mean, which happens all the time. You know, there's, uh, for example, organized crime syndicates that tell on each other all the time. They get a really good source about one of their competitors and they feed that to the FBI. This is nothing new to the Bureau that somebody may be telling you something true or false and their heart might not be in the right place. They might not just be there as a concerned citizen, but with an agenda. Mm -hmm. Uh, The FBI is used to that with criminals all the time. Here you had a couple of political parties that, of course, you know, Trump had that whole lock her up thing going, right? Mm -hmm. And so when 
uh, what was it, uh, mid-year exam, the investigation into her emails or maybe some more emails or whatnot that was, I believe, opened up by Peter Strzok mm. in 2016, you know, that lended to that narrative. But then mm. we've found out through uh, John Durham's investigation here of how the world came to be talking about the Alpha Bank story and the so-called Steele dossier that was sort of tarted up to look like an intelligence product when it really wasn't and it, that it was fed to the media constantly throughout the 2016 cycle you know the investigation was how did that get started and we've already got of course as we've covered on this show there's already been one guilty plea from kevin kleinsmith who was the direct report of james a baker who was the general counsel the guy the fbi to whom michael sussman gave information and got it kicked off with you know we saw the text message uh, hey, Jim, it's me. You know, we've got some really important stuff about Trump. I'm not representing any client. And then I guess the hole there is for some reason, James Baker didn't take notes on the actual meeting and he was a little fuzzy on, well, I can't remember exactly if he told me he had no client. And of course, everybody else around him that took notes, like uh, Bill Priestap in charge of uh, counterintelligence for the FBI said, you know, guys here, it has no client. You know, they took those notes, which Sussman's counsel wanted excluded. They're like, oh, just because he said there was no client, he wasn't really there. It's triple hearsay, which, okay, technicality. Sure. Triple hearsay. I got it. That's not a wrong legal argument that was in the pleadings. If you were one of the rare souls that actually read the pleadings in the case, before you were making, <laughs> I know you were making opinion statements in public. I mean, you know, you know what I find really interesting about the Baker situation is the Baker, you know, is a chief counsel and wasn't taking notes at a major meeting like that. What is going on? Why is he not taking notes and why can't he remember things is a good question to be asked. And you know, whether, you know, was this more of a, well, let's put it this way. Sussman himself uh, had a card access to the FBI offices whenever he wanted. He was a regular there. They knew who he was working for. It wasn't really that much of a surprise. So why the case? You know, the case might be to illuminate what was going on for people to understand the details and the complexity of the scheme, um, which may or may not have happened. But it seems like we had, you know, Hillary Clinton admit through her campaign manager that they were aware of it, that she was aware of this attempt to feed this information. And all of that mm -hmm. is very interesting. And it's really all a setup, not for this particular case. It's all a setup for the case that's coming in November. Now, that case in November is all about Igor Danchenko. And tell me about why that case is so different to this case, because that really revolves around the Steele dossier compared to this case, which was about the Alpha Bank server, a lesser sort of scandal, really. Well, you know, I really even want to reframe it there. It was about, did Michael Sussman, when he introduced this type of information to the FBI, was he clear that this was a law enforcement tip or was he doing opposition research and just wanted to tell uh, the FBI about the guy that they were running against? And they tried to make it look like, oh, he was just there for the purest of reasons. But, you know, there's, okay, I think, to the reasonable person, that looks pretty absurd. And they re even stop really trying to keep that impression of the interactions between the Clinton campaign and the Bureau. But it all came down as it should. It came down to, did this meet the three standards of 18 U.S. Code 1001, which is uh, for making knowingly false statements to the federal government, which is a really important statute that the DOJ uses all the time. And it's, did you make a false statement that's demonstrably false or fraudulent? 
you know, was it material? Did it have an impact or would anyone reasonably expect it to have an impact on how the federal government does its job? And was it knowing? Was it just a slip of the tongue or did you knowingly present that information? And, you know, the jury felt that there was some doubt about whether those things had happened. From what I read, I mean, there was an enormous amount of circumstantial evidence. Personally, I, you know, I'm a little skeptical on how you could say that this guy had the same story all the way through since he told the CIA the same lie and then changed it for Congress and then changed it back for the CIA. It seems like it wasn't telling the truth. But the jury was looking at this in a very narrow context and said, well, hold on. Well, Baker can't quite remember what he said. And yes, we have the text where he said he didn't have a client and other people around him didn't think he had a client. And he told other people he didn't have a client. But the question is, on the 19th of September 2016, can we prove without beyond a shadow of a doubt that he made a false statement while in the meeting with Baker about opening up all this stuff? And, you know, that got thin sliced. I guess they said no. No. Wait, wait. That, you know, and we did talk more about the Alpha yeah. Bank thing during this, as you were yeah. saying, yeah. and less about the second part of the Fusion GPS opposition reach uh, research operation. That is not a good guy. Let's just try and catch criminals out there. Operation. We have an operation that does that. It's called, I think, the FBI about catching criminals, and they like tips from citizens. But that's not what Fusion GPS was. I mean, you know, they were working for the Russian government, uh, looking at Bill Browder on behalf of uh, Prevazon, money launderers that were accused in the Southern District of New York. Well, well, so well, they, well, 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 I mean, they're looking at, a, at an indicting Browder. Yes, sorry, not just saying that they were working for Bill Browder, which they would not know. The, no, no, Fusion GPS yeah. was in doing oppo research right. on Bill Browder, apparently. Right. This is a laundering operation for opposition research that went through Fusion GPS into uh Perkins Coie, which was a law firm that was hired mm -hmm. by the Hillary Clinton campaign. I mean, that's just the way it was. It's actually kind of normal, I think, for there to be opposition research units d designed oh. through that. Opposition research, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, get the dirt. Yeah. And they should have tons of dirt. But when that stuff, if you have something, you know, counterfeited and it ends up in a FISA warrant, that's different. And that was not on the table here in the Sussman case. Right. The Sussman case was just, did he lie about this being for the Clinton campaign? That was really it. There are some, you know, very specific legal standards. The jury decided it didn't meet that. Well, come this fall, we've got Igor Danchenko, who is a Russian national uh, who worked for Christopher Steele, who's a British national. And just a real quick reminder, foreigners are not supposed to be providing services to American campaigns or money or anything else, just for everyone keeping score at home. You're not supposed to under American law. We had Chris Steele, who was head of the Russia House. That's the Russian desk for the M for MI6 spy agency in Britain. And he was subcontracting to a couple dudes in Washington to get his dirt about Trump in Moscow, where he was a spy, which seems weird. But there were two guys that we know about now. Chuck Dolan, who used to be head of the Massachusetts Democratic Party and then part of the Clinton administration way back in the 90s. And this much younger man, Igor Danchenko, and Danchenko has been charged by the Durham Special Counsel. He has been indicted on 18 U.S. Code 1001. And we're going to be talking about, well, I mean, apparently the federal government believes that Danchenko 
has lied to, I believe, the investigators. Now, this is a little bit different than lying to somebody in a lightless, windowless office somewhere down at the FBI building down off of Pennsylvania Ave, right, in D.C. It's, it's right, a little from, different here. Right, I, remember I think, Michael Flynn got uh, in trouble for lying to investigators as well, and he lost his job as the national security advisor over that. And just to remind yeah, Lying to the feds is a bad you idea. Do, you shouldn't do that. So it will be interesting to see what happens in this case. I mean, there are a lot of people uh, saying, hey, this is an indictment on everything Durham did. I don't agree with that. I think there's a lot of very useful information that we got to learn about how the system works and especially about how the FBI operates. And it's stuff that really is important. It's material to the future of free and fair elections in America. And we need to sort that out. We can go through another presidential election where the FBI is manipulated in the way it was by both sides, it appears, in 2016. And we need to make sure that it does not happen again. Yeah, can I riff on that? Because, you, can, you know, there's a minute or so, yeah. But there are so many trolls and paid influencers, paid by very interesting individuals, some of whom we know about, some of whom we know less about, who have been from the beginning, boo, Durham, this guy, he's dirty, he's compromised. I know I have an anonymous uh, you know, name with uh, 15 digits after it <laughs> and my Twitter handle, and I've never mentioned this case ever before. I tweet about shampoo, but I know that this is a compromised prosecutor. Right. All very interesting. And... You know, when the guy is acquitted by a jury, it's like, see, this is what that means. And it's like, we got to get out of the notion of, you know, law enforcement as blood sport and just enforce the goddamn law. Mm. You know, don't break the law. If you break the law, go to prison or cut a plea deal. But, you know, don't be defrauding the federal government. Don't be lying to federal investigators. Don't suck a bunch of data off your DARPA contract that was supposed to be for cybersecurity to try and launder it to slate in the New York Times. That's illegal. Don't do that. If you do, go to prison. Also, I just, you know, it's good for everyone to hear both sides of the story. This is really important. Yeah. This is how democracies function is by actually listening yes. to the other side. If we block the other side's, you know, court cases, criminal cases, any allegations, then we land up with being just like them, just exactly like yes. them, but on the other side. And that's not good for anybody. Democracy actually functions best when we listen to each other and cover each other's points of view. Uh, when they're been balanced. hilarious. You know, when people were like, but what about Trump and Russia? I'm like, who do you think started telling you about Trump and Russia in 2016? It was me. I know they kicked me in the teeth for years over it. And also, I was mentally ill then. And now apparently there's a problem in me because I don't bring it up enough. People, also, I mean, how much were, was I supposed to talk about it? If you were also into Trump, Russia, which, you know, I had a passing interest in, I would say, um, <laughs> you notice, <laughs> I mean, and like, you know, I, was, I was amongst the first people to, to, to write about this stuff. And if you're interested in Trump, Russia, which a lot of this audience is, you have to be interested in what's going to come out in the next trial and in this trial, because we'll find out all about the Steele dossier and how the Steele dossier was put together, which is a big piece of Trump, Russia. So just as a matter of historic uh, reference, this is all good stuff and worthy of everyone's time. Yeah. And I'm going to. And we're all over it, guys. Yeah. Trust us. We'll get you through it. But it. there's a little one little quote, just a teaser for yeah, the audience. One last one. Think, oh, <laughs> oh, if you think so, oh, that Sussman stuff was nothing. OK, well, I got an interesting one for you in the Danchenko charging documents where apparently uh, PR executive one, that's Chuck Dolan, is talking about Danchenko, who's going to be working for Steele, producing this dossier that they're going to give to the FBI, who's then going to put it in FISA warrants. Uh, Chuck Dolan's like, oh, well, he worked for the FSB, the Russian uh, Domestic uh, Intelligence Service, for a few years. LOL. That's like from, from some text. Uh, so I, I hope America's a little curious as to why uh, Hillary Clinton would be, you know, 
funding people that her own folks thought had been Russian spies. That's just very interesting to me. Well, you are uh, making some assumptions there, but that's good. You should be making those assumptions. You go right ahead. I'm going to move us on to the next story. January 6th garage huddle. Cleta? Say it again. Cleta, I think. Cleta, okay. So this is an amazing story that sort of passed everyone by last week. There is video of a garage huddle involving none other than Enrico Tario, the leader of the Proud Boys, and uh, the leader of the Oath Keepers. And also, it appears that Cleta uh, Mitchell is there. Now, who is Cleta Mitchell? You know that we've been talking about her her best friend for a long time, Ginny Thomas. Ginny Thomas, very well-known person because she is the wife of a Supreme Court justice, Clarence Thomas. She's also been one of the instigators of January 6th, or so is believed to have been one of the instigators of January 6th, was involved in a lot of planning. She's good buddies as well with uh, one Steve Bannon. In fact, she's also good bunnies, and uh, uh, Cleta Mitchell is also good friends with Bannon as well. In fact, she was his lawyer uh, quite recently. So it's interesting that apparently Lisa Tario and uh, um, Stuart Rhodes, <laughs> thank you, and Stuart Rhodes uh, were all in a huddle in a secret meeting the night oh. that Enrique Tario was arrested. It was January the 5th, the night before the insurrection, and uh, Enrico Tario had been taken in by the FBI. He had been arrested because a few weeks earlier, there was a Black Lives Matter poster that was defaced in Washington, D.C. Because of that, the FBI brought him in or the local authorities brought him in and said, you know, you've got to get out of town. We do not want you here for the next 24 hours or this period of time. There's going to be the January the 6th insurrection. And so he left town. But before he left town, he sort of broke the rules and he met up with Rhodes and he met up with Cleta. We think it's Cleta. You, you guys be the judge in this underground garage meeting. The video comes from a documentary crew of all people. The documentary crew was following. I don't know why he had a documentary crew following him, but there you go. Enrique Tario had a documentary crew following him and documenting absolutely everything that was going on with the man in that period of time. So we're going to watch all or gripping minutes of this. If you haven't seen it, it's because everyone was focused on another news story and uh, the Cleetham uh, Mitchell stuff is all brand new today. And we bring it up because she's in the news because she's planning on doing it all again with Jenny Thomas. She's made basically announced it to the world and we'll tell you a little bit more about that on the other side of this video. This is him getting signed out of... Uh, Police department, or wherever he was detained. Right there. Right there. And right there. Right. That's it. That's it. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Sorry, stop. What do you think? She's got something to give us. Hold on, stop. Are you kidding me? Yo. They just came from the reservation because they saw me with him. Here. I'm going to be on the bottom. Okay. Do you need anything? Not really. What's this? You need, you need. What are you giving me this Mommy, for? Do you need anything? No. Okay. What's this for? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. You, you can't, can't come. come. He's no. not, you're not going to come anywhere near anything. Okay. I thought they Those are the lanyards, by the way. 24 hours what? That you had 24. No. 
I mean, I don't even know if that's a rule. Hey. So I'm not, I'm not well, even going to test Bianca. it. Bianca. I, mean, I, wanted, you you to, I wanted you to meet Can the you, attorney. Why don't you pull up over just here? Pull up we right need to talk. Everybody move, please. Next, everybody next move. block, next everybody block move. on the right. Why, next man? Next block on the right. You sure? All right. The next block? Wait. Can I keep one of these? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. This is great stuff. This looks like a James Bond movie. An Indian one, at least. Hey. In the garage. Austin, Austin Powers, maybe, but it's important. No, I can't. I can't. They're already looking out the window. So make a go, go down. Go down the block and make a right, and then on the left is a parking. Yeah, there's a parking garage that's going to be on your left side. Go down the parking garage. They were trying to. What's up? What's up? You are. I'm not. I'm sure that there's like some type of hey. Get your stuff. Well, I mean, go. you literally. I told him. I said he literally just got shit at the police station because she's gonna. Yeah, just back up. We're just gonna. I we're just gonna need just to turn talk around to and her. get out of here. She has a. Um, this guy has a good attorney, and it was a two A attorney that got him off of his stuff. So. <laughs> I want you to meet this First. attorney, Kelly. Hey, Kelly. She's Lawrence in Texas. Oh, pleasure Hi. to meet you. Nice yeah. to meet you. So he's in the radio. Hey, Stuart. Pleasure. Stuart. Pleasure's all mine, Pebble. Hey, listen. Do you need a vehicle to No, we're going to... Do they know what you're driving? Do they know what you're driving? It doesn't matter. I, I'm sure that even if they were to come by right now, I'm, I'm on my way out. So I literally just picked up my bags. So I thought they told you 24 hours. They didn't hours. give me 24 hours. They didn't want... The reason I why they that did that is that they didn't want me to go to... Tomorrow's event. You going on Virginia's side? I'm going to go on the other side. I'm going to go to the Maryland side. Going north. The Maryland? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to stay close <laughs> just to make sure my guys are okay. Okay. And I'm going to so shoot tomorrow. tomorrow. And I got, a, I got a lot of stuff to do tomorrow. So Give me, a, give me a chance. So I think this is where they say that Cleta is in this video. You guys have to help me out here. It's in a very brief moment as they turn the camera around. You see uh, next to Stuart Rhodes there, there's another guy with a cap. And next to him is, I think, Cleta Mitchell. You can sort of see her in a little hips. She's wearing a mask, a face mask. Apparently that's her. Okay. And she's a lawyer, so maybe he's meeting a lawyer. You can't get anything of the audio there. It's just, uh, and the, they've deliberately said that they can't, they didn't capture any of the audio during that uh, particular scene, but uh, during the huddle part. But it is interesting. So this is him breaking the law, essentially, because he was told to, leave town, but he decided not to. He decided to have a meeting with his key co-conspirators uh, who are now up for a sedition uh, conspiracy charge, right? I mean, that's exactly what they're up yeah. for. And, you know, is he now implicated in that? Or was, what was going on there that they had met, apparently? And it seems to me that they met for the first time then. Is that possible that they met for the first time? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? By the way, do you know what one of the elements of a conspiracy charge is? Is a meeting of the minds. Ah, so- if you wanted to nail a conspiracy shut in a prosecution sense, it would be very helpful if all the members met in one place. And, I see. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Interesting. So, you know, you would suddenly have all the players there because they'd be meeting to discuss this emergency that, uh, you know, the Enrique Tario was not going to be around to lead the Proud Boys on January the 6th, which was all the plan all along. He was the guy 
basically who was going to arrange it all. And suddenly that suddenly all changed. He was not going to be there. And now the Oath Keepers had a bigger role to play, presumably the next morning, or at least, you know, they seem to stand out more. That's why they are charged with sedition charges. And I don't believe the Proud Boys are charged with sedition conspiracy, are they? I think there are so many traitors, yeah. hard to keep track. Hard, hard to keep track of. But this is why the January 6th hearings that are coming up in the near future are going to be so important and so fascinating. We spoke a little bit earlier on about how important it is to keep an eye out on these things because democracy is at stake. Well, guess what? The same people who are throwing that little coup attempt are also attempting to throw another one in 2024. And that was the thrust of the story in the New York Times yesterday, which came out. It's quite a shocker. And it all involves... You know, the same person, Cleta Mitchell and her buddy, I'm sure Ginny Thomas is not quoted in the story, but I think she's definitely a part of this and you can absolutely not read it in this. Maybe you can. Is that the right story? So we're, hold on. Just so I'm clear and the audience yeah, is clear. Yeah. So they're going to do another coup d'etat, but they're giving us two years in advance. <laughs> well, as they say, they've learned the lessons from what happened and they're going to basically function with a bunch of election of spies, I don't know, observers. I'll get you the actual story in a sec. We can dissect it, but it's uh, not a, um, it looks ridiculous. It looks like it's impossible that someone would do this. On the other hand, these guys have not been, Jenny, I mean, Jenny and Cleta have not really been facing any investigation. It seems like they're just seems to be able to continue to plow away at whatever it is they were doing in 2016. They can do in 2020, I mean, 2020, they can now do in 2024. It seems that's the that's what I'm leaning from all this reporting. There's no investigation into Ginny Thomas. There's no investigation into Cleta. And as far as we know, and what I find really fascinating is that the Supreme Court today was able to subpoena the, well, not subpoena, demand all the phone records of all the pages oh, yeah. and, and uh, in the Supreme Court, but they still have not Over investigated the... Ginny's involvement in Jan 6 and her, you know, maybe her husband is complicit in something to do with uh, the coup attempt. Well, the Marshal of the Supreme Court, which is a real job title, folks, mm. for those who get a chuckle out of it, has a remit to investigate, you know, potential security breaches at the Supreme Court, like they assume happened with the leak of the Alito memo, mm -hmm. I believe it is. Yeah. And the big story today, and this was kind of a fun one, apparently even some of like the clerk staff at the Supreme Court is talking about lawyering up, mm. which means someone did a bad, bad thing. But that the, the Supreme Court is not going to investigate the wife of a justice planning the overthrow of government. That's going to go to Department of Homeland Security, FBI, whoever else, but probably not the Supreme Court itself. So I'm going to assume that with, you know, the open conspiracies yeah. that they, someone's looking at it. you got to assume, but who knows? So Cletus says that we are taking the lessons we learned in 2020 and we are going forward to make sure they never happen again. Ms. Mitchell told her that the crowd of 150 activists in training, basically she's hiring a bunch of people to, she's putting you to work, she told them. In the days after the 2020 election, Ms. Mitchell was among a cadre of Republican lawyers who frantically compiled unsubstantiated accusations, debunked claims, and an array of confusing and inconclusive eyewitness reports to build the case that the elections were marred by fraud. Courts rejected the cases and election officials were unconvinced, thwarting a stunning assault on the transfer of power. Now Ms. Mitchell is prepping for the next election, working with a well-funded network of organizations on the right, including the Republican National Committee. She's recruiting oh. election conspiracists into an organized cavalry of activists monitoring elections. 
That sounds lovely. Uh, so there'll be, uh, Ms. Mitchell is marshalling volunteers to stake out election offices, file information requests, monitor voting, work on work at polling places, and keep detailed records of their work. So they're marshalling infantry and cavalry and mm. intelligence. All the, all the military and, words you could use. Like they're declaring a civil war. Well, you know what's interesting? She actually works for the government. Before he left office, Donald Trump gave her a job. And she, and she apparently still has this job. As far as I can tell, she still has this job at the Elections Assistance Commission. She's a board member of the Election Assistance Commission, which doesn't really have very much power, although it does inform people about what they can do during the elections, like, you know, the chain of custody, best practices, election audits, and election official security. So I don't know how she's doing both these jobs at the same time. She surely cannot be working for the Republican National Committee and the government at the same time. Uh, but maybe she can. She's on another board as well. Yeah. Yeah. She's on another board about civil rights. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? So that's just a brief, brief story we had to share with you because it's really interesting. But I've got lots more to share on Kleda and I've got lots more to share on uh, that videotape we saw. That'll be coming up next week. Are you ready for the next segment? Because, boy, we're piling them on. Say something, Eric. I've let you, not ready to, to talk about this, this particular story. So tell us something. I know it's been like four seconds yeah, since yeah, I've yeah, said something. Yeah. You know, I just want more of a huddle there. And also there it seemed to be a beeped out thing. You know, he already got out of the PlayStation. I am fascinated now. What did that have to do with anything? Did I hear that correct? I, you I heard was there was something about a, a PlayStation there. And I and it was beeped. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I don't have no idea what it was. <laughs> we'll find out. That's the key to the mystery, folks. We'll find out later, I guess. Thank you for spending your time with Narrative and stay tuned. There's much more to this conversation in our next episode. Narrative is made possible by viewers and listeners like you who join at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Join today and support truly independent journalism. Patreon.com forward slash narrative.